We are dumb. We are so <laughs> dumb. We are very stupid boys. Welcome to Sounds Familiar, a podcast where we discuss two pieces of media that share themes, plot points, or overarching ideas. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date with our upload schedule, news, and discussions. Take your seat, grab your popcorn, and silence your cell phones now. Please enjoy the show. Welcome to Sounds Familiar. My name is Caleb, and I'm going to wish to be two inches taller. <laughs> I'm Justin, and I find the vacuum of space much chillier. <laughs> chillier than what? Uh, the ice continent, <laughs> very specifically <laughs> named. <laughs> I, um... Anyone who listens regularly might notice that we are missing someone for the first time. First time? First time. Stephanie is out of commission this week and uh, cannot fit. That's a bad way to put it. Is <coughs> unable to comfortably <laughs> enter and sit in the recording booth, also known as our closet. Um. <laughs> So it's just going to be me and Justin this week. And it's getting extra dorky in here. <laughs> this is this this episode is going to be a perfect synthesis of like me and Justin's interests. <laughs> this is like if if you just met us at a party and we had to tell you who we we had to like tell tell you about ourselves, I feel like we recorded a podcast episode about Batman Beyond, Return of the Joker, and Dragon Ball Super Broly would do a pretty good job of it. <laughs> I was tempted not even to put the title of the films in the episode title and just put Boys Night! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Absolutely. Keep it mysterious. Oh, boy. Uh, so um, These movies ended up having more in common than I expected. Initially, the only point of comparison I had was they are feature-length animated films that are like a spin-off of a of, of a TV series and is actually canon but ultimately has very little impact on the series after its release right uh, but there ended up being more than that yeah yeah there's a lot um, and we'll we'll see if Broly makes it into the TV show like I, I think in in the uh manga it's already happened uh i could be mistaken on that and uh return of the joker does have some lines that follow into like justice league unlimited but for batman beyond proper it has almost no uh bearing on it was did had batman beyond ended at that point because i mean it only ran for three seasons um, i don't know what years that was though I'm not sure. I can tell you in just a second. Batman Beyond um, ran until 2001. Uh, okay, so this was probably after the second season. Yes. Cool. Because uh, Return of the Joker, for our listeners, was released in 2000. Um, Justin, did you see this one in theaters also? 
I did not see this one in theaters. I didn't see this till it made it to, I can't remember if it was Kids WB or Toonami. So I didn't see the uncut version until I checked out ah. a DVD uh, in high school. I don't think I had seen it until like two or three years ago, which oh, is wow. surprising. Was the edited version that... the one in theaters? I Probably not. Oh, I thought you were and... saying you had seen it in theaters. No, I'm uh, saying I have not seen I had not seen Return of the Joker in any form. Oh, okay, okay, I'm with you. Until a couple years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um um this is so while I do think Mask of the Phantasm might have a better script uh and might overall be the better movie, um I find myself going back to this one more often. Uh, I just it's think good. it is, it is good and unhinged in a way that, uh, Mask of the Phantasm just isn't. Is it right? Um, this one is, well, first off, the animation is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. It, it looks fantastic. Um, I'm always a fan of Terry McGinnis. I love Batman Beyond and the story in this one really pulls you in. Like the the mystery of it is pretty good. I will say the the twist, the ultimate the the twist at the end of the reveal is a little um this is a horrible time to make this statement, but it's a little comic booky for me. <laughs> the the rest of the story I'm totally down with, but the twist reveal I'm like ah, ah okay. Well I would <laughs> I was thinking about it, and that's something that I love about uh, comic book stories and just comic bookiness in general, is this, that twist on its own would be the most like, oh, come on now, like a were joker, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the fact that it's tied into some like deeply, deeply sad and traumatizing character beats, I was like, I'll let it slide. <laughs> Right, and if you've seen anything from this movie without having actually watched the movie, it's been the scene where Tim Drake has been brainwashed by the Joker and then shoots and murders Joker. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that, yeah. that, that video circles around the internet all the time. I will say that um, I love I love Terry. I love everything he does in this movie. Um, but that section when Barbara's uh, telling Terry what happened... That is my favorite section in the movie. That is so dense with good content and just stellar yeah. performances. No, as uh, soon as Barb's narration stops, mm -hmm. and it just you just, it it's really subtle. Actually, it was pretty cool. So she's telling the story to Terry of what happened all those years ago with like how the the Joker met his end, and at a certain point she just stops narrating, and you're in the story and watching it unfold, and it's really subtle. Like I almost didn't notice it. Why don't we go ahead and do a quick story summary? Okay. Uh, we're in the future. It's the year 2099. Not actually. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's like a 40-year time skip after Batman the Animated Series. Terry McGinnis is the new Batman. Uh, Barbara Gordon is Commissioner Gordon. Uh, Tim Drake is a former Robin. And there is a new Joker and a new Joker gang. Actually, the, this isn't the first introduction of a new Joker gang. The first episode of... The, the pilot of Batman Beyond features a future Joker gang. Yes. And um, I love the guy who's clearly more of a Scarecrow fan. Uh, just yes. rolls with the Jokers anyway. Yes. <laughs> I, I, 
before it's revealed that they're a Joker gang, I was like, oh, Stephanie said, who's that? I was like, oh, that's obviously new uh, future Scarecrow. No, it's not. His name is Ghoul, I think. Yeah. And he talks like Christopher Walken. I was about to say that. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Which, I mean, odd choice, but I'm not going to knock it. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> um, okay. There is a new Joker in town, and they have to figure out if he is actually the original Joker. But, like, Terry thinks, Terry's like, it's can it be him? And everyone's like, no, but they won't tell him why. And it's eventually revealed it's because Tim Drake murdered the Joker. They buried him. <laughs> Batman and Batgirl buried the Joker deep underneath Arkham Asylum. I love that they told Commissioner Gordon, and I can just imagine him smoking a cigarette and being like, well, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no skin off my nose. <laughs> I heard no, nothing. Like, Carry on. <laughs> yeah, it's not like there's going to be a tribunal like investigating Gordon being like, we haven't seen the Joker in two years. Where is he? <laughs> Nobody cares. They're just like, they're, they're probably going to be like on edge the rest of their lives. Like, where the fuck is the Joker? It's been way too quiet. There's no way he died. Um, <laughs> so then might as well just get out with the twist. It's revealed that when the Joker was brainwashing Tim Drake, he created a microchip encoded with his DNA, not his brainwaves. That's the that's what I would expect it to mm -hmm. be, right? No, literally his DNA. Anytime this thing activates, Tim Drake physically morphs into Joker. Like just where said, Joker. where Joker. <laughs> and Tim Drake is unaware of it. And then, you know, Terry fries the chip and, you know, Drake, uh, Tim is free. The two twists that I had problems with was one, the Joker's plan was to gain access to an orbital defense satellite. <laughs> now, one, that scale is way off for a Joker story. Mm -hmm. That's uh, yeah, that's that's a Lex Luthor esque. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's his territory. It's the Joker doing a Superman villain plot, like, to a yes. T. <laughs> yeah, and that's a weird decision to make. And their their reasoning for it is very flimsy. Mm -hmm. He's just like, I'm going to leave my mark all over this town. And I'm like, shouldn't you just be, like, filling a blimp with Joker gas or and something? Then, and then you find out, like, his plan for the laser is to carve a smiley face into Gotham, and the points that make the eyes uh, and the tip of the smiley face happen to be Wayne Manor, the hospital, and Terry's house. And how is that Wayne Manor? Wayne Manor is clearly way out in the country, okay? <laughs> Gotham City is supposed to be, like, a cross between Manhattan and New Jersey, all right? Gotham is always, like, an island city. There is no way that... Wayne Manor is geographically, like, right next to that hospital. No, it's across the bridge, on the mainland, like, on a cliff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the... <laughs> it's like, but that being said, uh, we're making fun of it because it is fucking ridiculous. But uh, this is, for an animated uh, superhero movie tied to an animated series... This is very much, hey, what Joker's doing doesn't matter. He's doing a bad thing. What really matters is, how do the characters feel about it? <laughs> <laughs> Which makes this movie so meaty. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Terry Terry has a girlfriend named Dana, which is probably like the only consistent girlfriend any superhero has ever had. Um but there's never much really like to their relationship. Uh the most you get out of it in this movie is they go to a club and like Terry's sleepy, which is another gift that frequently circulates around where it's like painting through the club and all the people dancing and Terry is passed out in the booth. I love the the designs of all the background dancers. They're so yeah. wacky and disproportioned. <laughs> it's yeah. so funny. And I love how they animate the club sequences. I'm a real big fan of how like the diff the the people change color mm-hmm. as like shorthand for flashing lights in the club, um, and like the people in the foreground are different colors than the people in the background to differentiate them. I just think it looks really it's very visually interesting and very clean looking. Um, uh, I think it's a it- very like it's a very good shorthand because like you don't have the light cones coming down. Like, they don't need to animate the actual lights. The Changing the colors on the people is enough. Yeah, uh, this movie and Batman Beyond as a series really uh, skewed what I thought nightclubs and raves were going to be like. <laughs> and they're, they're much more boring in, in life. To be fair, I don't think either of us has ever actually been to a rave. Never been to a rave. Been to a few nightclubs. They're not as fun. <laughs> this... The Batman Beyond vision of the future, I love it. It's it's very like stereotypical and schlocky. It's they have they have different slang for everything. Like when you get if you're gonna kill someone, I mean you're gonna slag them. Um, they call people dregs. They didn't use they didn't use the, the like word. standard. They didn't use the word. Batman Beyond is known for one. One piece of slang. Would you say? Would you say it wasn't very shway? It was not shway. (laughs) And how dare you use that word before me? All right, come on. I met Will Friedel and I told him it was very shway to meet him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, I guess. Yeah. Speaking of cast, um, this has the classic cast from all of the DC AU. Kevin Conroy is fantastic, like, definitive Batman, in my opinion. Uh, And I love, like, as much as I love him as Batman, I love his old Bruce so much. Yes. So much. And uh, Mark Hamill is really giving it to every single line he has in this one. Um, I think, I believe it's because he thought this was going to be his last time playing Joker. And he really, really killed it. Um uh, voice director Andrea Romano, I actually didn't know this until right now, uh, was sad, crying, laughing Tim Drake. Uh, oh. Yeah, she actually voiced the tragic boy. Good, good little cameo for her, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- this cast is iconic. Uh, Tara Strong. Oh, really in there. good. But Barbara's really good. I, really I had like no idea Barbara. Melissa Joan Hart was Dee Dee. Oh. Uh, uh, uh. So Michael Rosenbaum, uh, Lex Luthor from Smallville, and uh, Flash in the Justice League animated series is the one doing the Christopher Walken impression. <laughs> <laughs> Which is beautiful. And of course, Will Friedel as Terry McGinnis. Uh, 
phenomenal. Blew my mind as a kid when I found out Eric from Boy Meets World was Terry. <laughs> it meant nothing to me because feeling. I've never seen a single episode of Boy Meets World. I did. Just don't. You've missed it. You've missed it. Carry on. <laughs> Her name is Topanga. What? What is up with that? Come on. You leave her alone. She's a nice woman. <laughs> um, let's get into the meat. I want to chew on this meat a little bit before we move on. Um, the story, and we've discussed like what the the plot details, but like what it's about. With the, it's about what is it? The sins of the past. Mm-hmm. Um, the quote unquote son paying for the sins of the father. Um, trying to, I don't know, trying to hide the past or cover cover it up, but it comes back anyway. Um, there there are some fairly heavy themes here. Um, that I was surprised to see echo into Broly, given that. Given that Batman Beyond Return of the Joker is an eminently more watchable and enjoyable <laughs> movie experience, Return of the Joker, every scene advances the story. Every scene moves the plot forward or reveals a new piece of information. It's There's there's no time to look away. And yeah, I, I, just, I watched it straight through. Broly, however, has way too much time for nonsense dawdling i love foofing around i love that paragus really runs out points at vegeta and goes your father's sins are your responsibility <laughs> and vegeta's like, right, response there we go back is, to punching yeah and vegeta's response is what no this has nothing to do with me i'm gonna go home <laughs> I'm taking my fancy coat and leaving. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save we'll save more of the comparisons for later. Um, no, I if you haven't seen Return of the Joker, I highly recommend it. Surprisingly heavy on theme, beautiful animation, all the performances are great. Um, you know, as long as you're okay with two already spoiled, uh, kind of comic booky reveals. Yeah. Uh, again, I say this every episode. If you want to know, like, go into something spoiler-free and you see we're doing an episode on it, watch it first, then enjoy a conversation with us. <laughs> right, I mean, like, if this isn't your first episode, then we don't need to say that. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe Boys Night is your first episode. Mm. Welcome, listener. I don't know when this will ever happen again. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably for the best that it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, that we were we were going to discuss Seven Samurai and another movie. And I figured it would be best if we didn't do our episode about Kurosawa without Stephanie. <laughs> she, she brings so much to the table in regards to actual film discussion and theme and what the art uh the artist is trying to say that doing that without her feels like um uh it would not have been a good idea would it would not have been near as good an episode as it will be yeah uh here's a clip uh from an alternate universe i'm gonna go ahead and roll that 
Uh, Caleb, I liked that there were seven samurai. Um, yes, that seems like, uh, uh, you know, uh, a lot of samurai to me. Um, I would question the need for, uh, this many protagonists. Uh, uh, um, also it was black and white. Um, had they not invented color yet in, uh, 19... This See, is all pretend. Terrible. Alternate universe Caleb <laughs> doesn't doesn't appreciate Kurosawa. <laughs> this universe Caleb does not know if he appreciates Kurosawa <laughs> because he has yet to see a Kurosawa film. Maybe I will sound like that in the future. Hopefully not. We'll be getting to that eventually. Um, but I believe, without giving too much away, we have some themed months coming up. So, oh, get that's excited. true. We've probably discussed that before, but uh, we do have several themed months in... Not in the bag. I mean, they're done. We don't record that far out. This episode's going up two days from now. <laughs> <laughs> so the meat of the story. So, yeah, no, this is... <laughs> this is gonna be 20% just you and me riffing. And you know what? I'm fine with that. That's what white guys do when they start a podcast together. As soon oh, as we lose our female member... It just becomes two dudes riffing. Oh, God. <laughs> We're spiraling. We're spiraling. spiraling. <laughs> Justin, do we have anything else to say about Batman Beyond Return of the Joker? Did you take any specific notes to cover? Because I have not taken notes in a very long time because I'm a very bad podcast co-host. <laughs> not to not not to jerk this scene off too much, but I do, I do want to talk about it. Um... Every single moment of um, what happened in the past, the, um, the flashback scene. Yes, Bruce. Thank you. I couldn't remember the word flashback. <laughs> That's uh, what I'm here for. <laughs> Every single second of that scene, the first time I saw uh, this movie, um, not on TV, where it was constantly bombarded with commercials and I was playing Pokemon on a Game Boy. Um, when I chose to watch one does every single second of this scene uh gave me it gave me chills I'll it it's so good uh when Joker is in the uh projection house of the theater and he's talking uh to Bruce and he calls him Bruce and is uh saying how that reveals a disappointment and is laying into him about his dead parents and blah 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 that is probably my favorite Batman Joker interaction in the DCAU. Uh, everything from when Bruce walks into the theater to where Joker gets shot. That is my favorite interaction between the two. Because uh, it is it is Joker having the upper hand and pushing Batman's buttons in a way that he's never been able to do. And Bruce showing... Uh, restraint but also raw anger that we know is inside of batman he is very just... close to losing that restraint yeah it's... because he tells joker that he's going to break him in two and then joker calls his bluff and says if you had that in you you would have done it by now me on the other hand and then he stabs <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're not batman um also we still have all our parents um <laughs> And also, we're not rich. This, that entire sequence, it cannot be understated just how, like, it's good. It's solid. It mm -hmm. feels like an entire episode of Batman the Animated Series on its own. 
and it is just intense. It's um, the the whole screenplay uh, story development was done by Bruce Tim, uh, Glenn Murakami, and Paul Dini, but the screenplay itself uh, was all Paul Dini, and Paul Dini understands Batman in a way that I wish people like Zack Snyder did. <laughs> yeah, Paul Dini's perception of Batman is it feels his interpretation of Batman, his reading of it, it feels to me like one of, and this is not an original thought, like one of like the truest interpretations of the character because it took the essence of like what was important about the Dark Knight Returns, the, you know, it, before the Dark Knight Returns, Batman was very Adam Westy. Uh, after after the end of World War Two, so like from from the Silver Age, all the way to the Bronze Age of comics, Batman was very, um, oh no, I have a rainbow costume today. I have to go, I don't know, fight a villain who's a giant trout or something. Um, there's an evil clown, but it's not the Joker. It's just a random clown, and he throws pies in people's faces. Um, then the Dark Knight Returns happened, and people were like, oh, this, <laughs> did Batman kill people? And so Batman the Animated Series was created in the wake of the Dark Knight Returns and pulls from it without feeling... Uh, derivative isn't the word. It's, like, diluted, right? Like... Zack Snyder's interpretation of the Dark Knight Returns is Batman is dark and edgy and he beats people up and doesn't care if they die. Paul Dini, you know, saw what was there and was able to make Batman darker and more grounded while also making it accept uh, accessible to children, which mm. ultimately I feel is a, a fairly important and often overlooked quality in Batman. This is... I need... Patrick H. Willems, when talking about Star Wars, said, This is a movie about space wizards made for 12-year-olds, and I feel like I need a version of that for Batman. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, not to get to Justin and Caleb talk comics, which if we ever have a Patreon, maybe that's a tier. Let us know if you're interested. Uh, <laughs> uh, to say that it went from Silver Age campiness straight to uh the frank miller stuff does kind of skip over some great uh, uh other runs of batman like the uh neil adams and denny o'neill stuff um but the public's perception of batman was very uh adam west yes it, even though in the comics there was some great stuff going on all of the introduction of ra's al ghul right no you're right there was that. all the, the neil adams stuff it's um, so good so which Oh, Neil Adams could do a Batman cover cover page like no one else. Um he's still to the, he's probably my favorite Batman like cover artist. Um so yes, Justin is right. It was a bit of a transition. But I would argue as Justin said that in the in the public eye, The Dark Knight Returns is really the turning point. Really what saved Batman uh was a mixture of that Frank Miller comic and the Michael Keaton movie um mm -hmm. and uh that was just done uh the way it was because one tim burton directed it and two tim burton uh i believe was a big fan of the uh fleischer superman cartoon and golden age batman comics so he kind of 
of course he is. That just <laughs> that clicks, you know. You, you say Tim Burton's a fan of the Golden Age Batman comics. I say yes, of course he is. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he's no Silver Age schlock. You know, he he has he's a man of taste. Um, yeah, no, but to Paul Dini's Batman, there's just something so. I don't know. It's it's watching this, watching that scene in particular is there's something really satisfying about watching a movie or just a sequence and actually having the thought, like having the feeling that whoever wrote this like gets it. Yeah. You know, obviously and- we're talking about people. We're talking about characters that have been in the public eye for almost a hundred years now, and I've had dozens of artist interpretations, and that's that's part of the reason why the medium can stay fresh at all. You know, is because people can have different interpretations of it. the The Adam West interpretation of Batman is just as valid as the Frank Miller interpretation of it. So it feels a little reductive and dismissive to say this is the truest version of it, but it. There's just something about the line it walks. The the entire DCAU, um, well, first let me say this. There's something about the pairing of Paul Dini's uh, writing with Bruce Timm's uh, designs that they work together so well. Uh, there's an energy that comes from it that I have not seen in many other superhero media. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it almost, uh, the way you feel when you watch um samurai jack almost uh that level of like the story and the art are mixing together so well right uh and i think that's as close as we get in superhero animated series uh to that kind of uh synchronicity yeah and and i'd like to actually lean back to samurai jack for just a second it feels gendy tartakovsky's work feels very heavily influenced by Bruce Timm and Paul Dini. Um, mm-hmm. Even down to his art style feels like... It feels like a more abstract version of Bruce Timm's style to me. I can see that. Um, it's it's like Picasso doing Bruce Timm. Um, and the, the way he tells a story... Batman the Animated Series, to my knowledge... was one of the first cartoons, quote-unquote, intended for children, that would really let a story just unfold without constant talking or narration or explaining everything that's happened, but they would just let it happen visually. And, you know, that's very much Samurai Jack, Mm -hmm. to the point that one of the best episodes of Samurai Jack has no dialogue at Mm -hmm. all. It's just that, that visual storytelling and trusting your audience, you know? Kids aren't as dumb as we think they are, you know. If if you're good at if you can tell a visual story if you can't tell a story visually so that a child can get it, then like, what are you even doing? Right? Like right. it's just there's something about those long moments of silence when like Batman is walking through a room and picking stuff up and looking at them and like setting down a clue or something. It's just two minutes of silence. I'm pretty sure I read an interview or I read I read an, uh, an a long article about 
how Batman the Animated Series started, where like the executives at Warner Brothers were like, "What is going on? This is way too quiet. We're talking about Saturday morning cartoons here. You gotta, you gotta make this crazy. You know, you gotta make this wacky. You gotta use do some Looney Tunes bullshit." <laughs> Which is the name of our theme song. <laughs> and the the creator said, "No. You know, we're going to trust our audience, and ultimately." Doing stuff like that, trusting your audience, um, knowing that you can do something a bit more complex with a story, even if it's meant for children, if you trust them and to, to get what you're doing, you're able to make a story that reaches not just children, but works for all ages and will last a lot longer. Shows that do that, like obviously what comes to mind is Batman the Animated Series, and uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm -hmm. They're both very much shows that trust their audience, and as such, they have uh, their renown has lasted far beyond the ending of, of their series, you know? Uh, well said. Well said. <laughs> I'm glad we went on this tangent, because before it started, we, were, we had talked about Return of the Joker for less than 20 minutes, so I have no regrets. Um... What I was going to say earlier is the, the entire DCAU, if you have any interest in DC Comics, um, but don't know where to start everything from Batman the Animated Series to Superman the Animated Series, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, and Batman Beyond, uh, and Zeta Project, if you want to get into that, uh, <laughs> uh, is so, it takes this giant, convoluted comic universe and distills it down to what matters and does it exceptionally well um i'm a giant dcau fan it might be my favorite version of the dc universe um it's very very good batman beyond is a show that no one wanted even the executives there are some great uh videos and articles about uh the making of batman beyond that you should go check out if you have any interest um and it brought some of the most original interpretations of these characters uh that we have gotten to this day and i am grateful for it and this film is just icing on an already very delicious cake and i love it excellent point i i think what you said about distillation is a very important Comic books have... Marvel and DC have been making comics since, what, the 1930s? Mm -hmm. And they have... Their universe has... Before Crisis on Infinite Earths, everything in DC was all in the same universe. And DC has rebooted their universe in comics multiple times now, at least three or four, in an mm -hmm. attempt to simplify, but it never works. Because you know what one of their most recent decisions was? Literally everything that has ever happened is canon. Okay? The New 52 <laughs> tried to create a new canon to try and bring in new, new readers, right? Because if... It is not a simple task for... for someone to become a comic book reader, to become a comic book fan, okay? Mm -hmm. When I wanted to read Green Lantern, 
which for whatever reason, Green Lantern and New 52 was did not get a reboot. Like, his continuity was still solid. It was still uh, the Bat- same. Uh, nor huh? did Batman's. No, Batman Batman's Green- was. I thought. Uh, not important. Uh, so, some stuff did, but stuff like Hush and The Long Halloween and all of that still happened. Okay. I just... New 52 was but, a cluster. Yes. And so I wanted to read the new... the. This was their attempt to bring in new readers, right? To ditch the old canon and make something new. Make something fresh that you didn't have to know a bunch of stuff to get into. But still, trying to read the new 52 Green Lantern series, I had to go back and read five or six full thick trade paperbacks of Green Lantern comics running all the way back to the mid-2000s to understand what the hell was going on. And that is still a problem, because when I tried to read, um, what was it, Dark Knight's Metal? (laughs) When I tried to read... That's what it was, right? That's what it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I tried to read Dark Knight's Metal, there was a big splash page at, like, the end of the first issue that seemed like it was this huge reveal... And my response as a still at that point, like five years into it, I knew a novice DC Comics reader. My response was, what the fuck is that? And it's, it's not easy. And, and then and meanwhile, Marvel, I pushed up my glasses that I don't wear. I'm like, oh, yeah, you see the yeah. egg is plastic, man. <laughs> it just was like, it's plastic, man. And there's a, a, a boom tube that connects to the Energon, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um to steal Justin's bit. Um, <laughs> and then you've got Marvel that has never once done a universe reset. where <laughs> Never done a hard reset. Let's, never done a hard clarify. reset. Yeah. And depending... They folded multiverses into each other and had people right. like get massively mind-wiped in groups. And... Right. Some but universes never an official restart. And right. But 616 <laughs> remains unchanged. And... Depending on how nerdy a writer you get, you can have you could be reading an issue of Amazing Spider-Man from a year ago, and there will be some villain pop up, um, and the editor's note in the corner of the box will be like, "Way back in Spider-Man two sixty one in like nineteen seventy four, like I, it's <laughs> incomprehensible." So what? My ultimate point is that what these DCAU animated series do, this distillation of all of this lore, it's essentially starting from a fresh point in the universe where the only thing that exists at the first episode is the superhero, and then the villains come in organically, and the lore is built from there, is necessary. You know, because starting fresh is necessary. Comics have never been able to do that uh, well. They've never been able to do it good job of starting fresh but the animated series do that distillation in a way that a lot of other mediums just can't agreed agreed so we talked about comics a lot um do you have any final thoughts on uh, (laughs) uh batman beyond return of the joker um i like batman beyond i'm a big fan of it i know it's technically like DC's response to the 2099 kick that Marvel had, but I think it's better. Um, mm-hmm. I love how the interior of the Batmobile is exclusively red and black. Uh, I think it's very <laughs> visually cool. Um, 
that's I think that was about the only like stray thought that I had that I didn't <laughs> articulate. All right. So we talked about comics a lot. We're a film podcast. I think we need a hard reset, Caleb. Let's take a break and then talk about anime. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. Justin here. Thank you so much for checking out our show. You may notice some audio issues during these early episodes as we're recording them in separate locations during quarantine. It is our intention to record in person once it's safe, but for now, we work with what we have. Please follow the recommended guidelines, wear your masks, stay safe, and enjoy the rest of the episode. And we are back from the break to talk about the very serious piece of cinema, Dragon Ball Super Broly. Go Broly, go Broly! <laughs> go! Go! Ta! <laughs> Goku! <laughs> so, the soundtrack to this film slaps. End of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> You know what? I'll I'll Back say this. What? I'll, I'll I'll say this. Just we're already talking about the soundtrack. Uh, then we'll backpedal. I will take this crazy L soundtrack over what used to happen in the uh, the English dubs of Dragon Ball movies, which they would have like uh, disturbed Are <laughs> replacing you the Japanese. Oh my god! I boy, am I gonna send you some YouTube videos? There was like official AMVs inside of official. <laughs> It's oh like they god. had they had uh disturbed and deaf tones and like Oh I can get Uh yeah, I'll I'll send you something, but anyway, Dragon Ball <laughs> Super Broly release backstory. Yeah, no, Justin, yes. finish that. Oh, uh release, release in, uh, I twenty eighteen. Yes, twenty eighteen. December fourteenth specifically. Was that a simultaneous world worldwide release? I can't remember. No, I believe it was November sixteenth in Japan. Because I Googled ah, it earlier. There you go. So a little backstory. <laughs> well uh Justin is a lifelong Dragon Ball fan. Um my experience with Dragon Ball is that in approximately the fourth or fifth grade i tried to watch it my dad saw an episode with me said that dude's face just got blown off i don't think i want you watching this show to which i responded no dad it's okay because he's a robot my dad was not <laughs> convinced and i was not allowed to watch dragon ball z um mm. so i did not become a dragon ball fan until about two years ago um, when I just binged unhealthily inhaled the entirety of Dragon Ball Z Kai in about a month. Um, at which point I was converted. <laughs> but unfortunately, uh, unlike Justin, I do not have the history. And so I have not seen any of the old Dragon Ball movies. The only Dragon Ball movies I've seen are the three tie-ins with Super um, I have not seen a single episode of Super or regular Dragon Ball Z. Um, or Dragon Ball. 
Yeah, or Dragon Ball. So when this came out, I had only been a Dragon Ball fan for about a month. And then Justin and I went and saw it in a theater together. And it was a pretty good experience. That was the most fun I have had watching this movie. <laughs> because every time I watch it, I enjoy it just a little bit less. That's fair. That's right. Now, um, so going way back, I'm not going to get into the history of uh of my love for the franchise as a whole, but just what you're talking about, uh, your dad <laughs> not wanting you to watch it. Uh, my brother resented me so much. Um, uh, my brother is four years older than me. Um, he's the oldest of the grandkids, and all of the grandkids used to spend a lot of time at our grandparents' house. That's where we go when our parents were working. So we were there like all during the summers after school, blah, blah, blah. Uh, my brother, uh, when he <laughs> was growing up, was not even allowed to watch stuff like Power Rangers at her house. She was very religious. Uh, but by the time I had got into Toonami, she had like given up. So my brother wasn't allowed to watch Power Rangers, but I'm allowed to watch like just aliens getting <laughs> holes blown through them. But she had just like given up. <laughs> he hated me so much. His younger child syndrome. Um, but yes, uh, this is actually I have not fully rewatched this movie since we saw it in theaters together until today. Really? Um, and I did like it less. I do think there it. it it's a Dragon Ball movie, and it delivers on everything <laughs> I need that to be. The fights are awesome. Uh, the the interactions between the characters are quippy and sassy, and uh, it's just it's fun to watch. It's a fun watch. Are you gonna learn anything? No, you might unlearn something. But it's great. <laughs> you might learn the, the the meaning of the word repugnant. Hey, as Goku did. <laughs> This movie has, it has way too much time for anime bullshit. Okay. Uh. <laughs> um, okay, so first, Frieza wants the Dragon Balls. Bulma wants the Dragon Balls. They both want them for vanity reasons. Bulma wants to look five years younger, but not any younger than that because that'll be too much and people will notice and comment on it. Frieza wants to be five centimeters taller, but not any more than that because if it's more than that, people might notice and comment on it. So right off the bat, our reason for looking for the Dragon Balls is dumb, stupid, And the only it's reason... The only, like, story beat they serve until the end, but they're only in the movie to give Frieza a reason to be coming to Earth. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, which, I don't feel like you even need that, because Frieza finding Broly would be enough of a reason for him to go to Earth. Mm -hmm. But then also they need the Dragon Balls for Chilai? Is that her name? Yeah. To make the wish at the end. So... Ultimately, we do need the Dragon Balls. Um, there's just too much, it's too much faffing around. It takes too long to get. The movie takes too long to get to the action, and then the action goes on for too long. I. <laughs> so, uh, your your opinion on the uh, on the first part of the movie, the uh, the pre Frieza blowing up Vegeta, Planet Vegeta stuff. Um, well, what are your thoughts on that? Because per personally, 
I love that shit. I love Bardock's story. I like that we got uh, that world fleshed out a little more. Um, I would love, not saying it needs a full movie or it needs uh, an arc in the anime or anything, but like a spin-off manga, like a two-volume spin-off manga that is just like Bardock's life. Um, which we already got that in Z proper, Bardock the Father of Goku, but that's just a 30-minute movie. <laughs> so you asked my thoughts. Yes. I think, one, it's necessary for people who are unfamiliar with Dragon Ball Z. Why are you even watching this movie if you haven't already... Whatever. Maybe for, you're like my for wife. For the very and... patient, significant others. Yes, maybe you're like my <laughs> wife and you're uh, forced to watch this movie with your husband. Um, I don't think it's bad, Okay. It's the middle segment that I mostly have problems with. I understand all of the... The first third is just a bunch of plot that has to mm -hmm. happen. But I'm... I'm relatively okay with it. Because one, the old Broly movie is now, to my understanding, not canon. Yes. So we have to, re we have to establish the new canon. Okay. It's cause... safe to say that every single Dragon Ball Z movie until... Uh, Battle of uh, Battle of the Gods is not canon. None of them. Right. Carry so on. this is slightly different. So even for existing fans, the new canon has to be established. I understand that. It's a lot of character stuff. It's not awful. It's the middle third that I don't fucks with. It's <laughs> it's all of the. Oh, Whis likes to eat. Beerus is here, and he gets angry easily. And then Goku's a dummy, and uh, Bulma and Frieza are both vain. And then randomly, here's Chi-Li, and they're just on a spaceship talking for five minutes. Normally, I'm a fan of when movies take time for characters to just talk. But it's just, it's like, I, I get it. I'm here to see Goku, and I'm here to see Super Saiyans beat the crap out of each other. Let's not take the most of the movie to get to that. It's the same thing that, like, when the human plot is too much in a Godzilla movie. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I will say there there are good moments on the spaceship. Like, I love when uh, Broly is talking to his friends, uh, Chi-Li, and I can't remember the other guy's name. I don't uh, either. Uh, and he's talking about, like, befriending that monster on the planet, and, like, he wears his ear and everything. That was a very sweet moment. So there are, there are good cute yes. moments uh throughout but no i definitely agree stephanie liked Sheila a lot she related to her hardcore i hope um if broly comes back and again i'm not caught up on the manga at all uh if broly comes back i hope those two are a big like i hope it's a group package yeah <laughs> if broly's around i want them around yeah I like them they're with them um let's talk Speaking of Stephanie, let's talk about her experience watching this movie for a second. I frequently, quote-unquote, make Stephanie watch Dragon Ball with me. Um, she has seen up to the end of the Frieza saga with me. Actually, that's a lie, because, because the last episode... I've watched Dragon Ball Z Kai, and I have all of the box sets except Volume 3. Vo volume 2 ends with the next-to-last episode of the Frieza Saga. So the last episode of the Frieza Saga is episode one of volume three. That's not important here. <laughs> I frequently make Stephanie watch this with me. And actually, it's about the only anime she'll watch with me because it's, like, 
so silly because of like just how it is and it's dragon age yeah we're 40 years removed from dragon ball all right like holy crap um so watching this (laughs) she pays half attention god bless her i'm surprised she only put she doesn't even pay just a quarter attention you know um so we're getting all of this plot going and bardock first shows up and i hope i get this whole sequence right bardock (laughs) shows up and stephanie says where's his goatee and i said what are you talking about and she said he had a goatee earlier and i said no that's vegeta's father and stephanie says that was Vegeta's dad? Then who is this guy? And I said, that's Goku's dad, Bardock. And Stephanie said, that's Goku's dad? I thought that other guy was Goku's dad. And I said, Paragus? No, that's Broly's dad. And Stephanie goes, who's Broly? I thought that was Goku. And I thought his super, I thought his Saiyan name was Broly. And I said, no, (laughs) that's a different guy. And Goku's Saiyan name is Kakarot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i said come on stephanie their hair is different get it together (laughs) akira toriyama very talented artist can draw like five faces right and then and then when when bardock was talking about sending goku away stephanie jokingly said oh let me guess the planet's about to get blown up and they're gonna send him off to earth or he's gonna land to get raised by a farmer and his wife blah 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 and i said yes <laughs> and she she was joking she legitimately did not know that that was that planet vegeta was about to get blown up and goku was gonna get sent away <laughs> So she didn't know the like that Goku's origin story is like a spin on Superman. <laughs> oh, she has been told before, but she does not care enough about Dragon Ball to retain that information. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's part of the story to our to to you lonesome listener who does not know the story of Dragon Ball. Uh King Vegeta is the king of Planet Vegeta. His son, Prince Vegeta, was not on the planet when it was destroyed, and neither was Goku, the son of Bardock. Neither was Raditz. Or Raditz, or or Nappa, Nappa, or the two randos with Nappa, who I guess died. Or Tarbul, is that Vegeta's brother's name? I believe so. I don't know, I've never even seen him. (laughs) (laughs) He's in, like, one or two small... Anyway, not getting into the weeds. Uh, This is a film podcast. Boom! There is another Saiyan named Broly who is his latent battle power is stronger than even that of Prince Vegeta's, and so King Vegeta banishes him to a random uninhabited planet, a and death planet, pretty a much a death planet, and his father follows him there to raise him and train him to battle, and eventually return and kill King Vegeta. Too bad he can't do that before Frieza blows up the planet. Yes, um, uh, Frieza decides that. Uh, Legend or not, he doesn't want the Saiyans uh, becoming Super Saiyans or just rising up against him in general. So he's like, ah, it's best to call them all back to the planet and wipe it out. Um, Bardock sends Goku to Earth. That's history. I will say uh, there is something severely out of character, and that's when young Vegeta finds out that his planet was blown up by Frieza. And he's like completely nonplussed by it, doesn't give a fuck. 
Vegeta's whole thing in the Frieza saga and with Frieza in general is that that traumatized him and he hates Frieza for it. But when he finds out that Vegeta, planet Vegeta was blown up, he's just kind of like, uh, doesn't matter. I'll never be king now. That sucks. Uh. <laughs> it's out yeah, of character. Yeah, he is very proud. He's proud of his race and his people and his home planet. Mm-hmm. So he, he he is disinterested in a lot of things, but his home world is not one of those things. And he loves his family. <laughs> <laughs> Begrudgingly. I love the... There's this whole sequence at the end where they have to do the fusion dance. And Vegeta's like, I'm... I'm not doing it! <laughs> and, Go- and when Goku's like, you're gonna let your wife and your children die? And Vegeta's like, don't try and guilt me into this. Stop reminding me I have feelings now. <laughs> so, if you don't know, uh, Christopher Sabat voices a lot, a lot of Dragon Ball Z characters. Yes. Uh, Piccolo and Vegeta being the main two. And his voice for king vegeta just sounds like uh <laughs> sounds like piccolo a la orson wells <laughs> just, oh he's got a severe with a real high power level i'm gonna send him to another planet <laughs> sounds very jowly for a man that muscular <laughs> There's one thing you could say about Vegeta or King Vegeta. They are 0% jowl, you know? They're, <laughs> they're all cheekbone. All of the jowls went to Frieza's henchmen. <laughs> right. Like, what? So, those dudes with Nappa, why don't they all look like um freaking... I want to say Birder? Yeah. Birder. Is that his name? Yeah. Of the Ginyu I... Force? Yeah. The redhead? Yeah, why did they all look no, like him? No, that's Chase. Had... That's Chase. No, no, the other guy. Not the red ha- not red oh, the, skin. No, Raccoon. Red hair. Raccoon. Raccoon. Yeah. They all had, like, Raccoon's super rectangular head. I was like, what the hell is up with that? <laughs> it was weird. Uh, speaking of voices, I love that the scientists are just Russian. <laughs> why? <laughs> we have the... It's film shorthand now that Russia, that scientists just have Russian accents. I just, I just loved it in a Russian accent. Someone said, he might be the legendary Super Saiyan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go go to Rus- Russia on vacation and like scour the streets of Moscow and pay someone five rubles to say that. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> I just remembered something else that bothers me about this movie. They use a lot of terminology. Dragon Ball Z has its own, uh, what's the word? Vernacular. For lack of the word I'm looking for, yes, vernacular. Um, that you need to know, and that has been established for a long time. And this movie does not use that, does not use those terms. It uses variations of it, like Dragon Ball Z has forever said power levels, okay? His power level is over 8,000, all right? Like, and this movie calls it, what is it, Justin? Battle power? His yeah. battle power is uh, higher than we've ever seen. Like, it's it drives me 
bonkers. What is the point in changing it? It's been 40 years. Why can't... <laughs> I don't like it. I, I, it bothers me. Probably more than it should, but it bothers me. Uh, I, I believe uh, you sent me a message and you were also upset about it being a destructor god instead of god of destruction. Though at the end, they did say god of destruction. Yes, they said it once. They, they call him a destructor god like four times, him being Beerus, and then said god of destruction once. And I was, it's, it's, I don't understand. Why change it? It's. I would uh, like to say about uh, an hour, 45 minutes to an hour into this podcast, that if you came here for in-depth analysis this time around, I would like to severely apologize. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've got some things that, that I'm going to bring up, comparison-wise, that we could attempt to get into. But without Stephanie, I'm afraid it's just not going to be as good. Plus, I mean, look at what we chose. Tie-ins right, to animated series. What were we thinking? <laughs> we're talking about a Dragon Ball movie here, people. <sighs> Taking a breath. Finding my center. <laughs> Yet another problem I have with this movie. Two problems I have with this movie. One, it has the Dragon Ball Super problem. Uh, the problem that the rest of the series has, that it's not hand animated. And a lot of it just looks like garbage. You will find individual frames of like people's faces and stuff. You're like, what is... Who, why does that face look that way? That is bad. And the fight scenes in particular, there is uh, uh, hard shifts from where they were spending a lot of money on the animation mm -hmm. to where it is just like low quality 3D models. Yes. Uh, most noticeable when uh, Super Saiyan Blue, Goku, and Broly start fighting. And the animation is at its worst through that entire fight up until uh, him and Vegeta do the... Gallic Gun and Kamehameha simultaneously. Yeah. I don't know why that section of the film looks so exceptionally bad, but it's jarring. It's instantly noticeable. Let's talk about that, the, the fighting for a second, because that was my other problem. Dragon Ball Z is known for being... It's a fighting anime. There's a lot of fighting that happens in it. But usually, the action is fairly clear. You understand where people are in relation to each other and their environment um, at most points in any given fight. In this movie, they went a little crazy with the camera, and the camera is just constantly spinning and moving, and people are constantly spinning themselves and moving far away from the camera and coming close to it, that it is dizzying and frequently impossible to understand spatially what is happening yeah and don't get us wrong i 100 agree with you don't get us wrong there are some fantastic moments in this and there's some beautiful animation in this Just that short animation loop of goku like hopping to prepare for his fight yeah. is so fluid and it looks great uh, i i am glad that save for when action is happening or when there's very super serious moments and everything gets sharp when the movie is letting itself breathe a little bit, it has that nice roundness yeah. that original Dragon Ball had that uh, uh, from Z forward was missing, and I really, I really like that. If Dragon Ball Super comes back, I hope we get more of that. Is it, is it over? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Tournament of Power was the end of Super, and then this is like a cap on it. The manga is still going. Um, and has passed the Tournament of Power, so one can only assume there'll be another anime eventually. That was going to be my next question. Was the manga still going, but the TV show isn't? Weird. Yes. 
Yes. Okay. Which, yeah. Anyway. Let's attempt to actually get into some meat and potatoes here. <laughs> because regardless of all the shit we've talked and all of the plot we've discussed, there is there are actually some themes here in Broly. Um, Broly is has the potential to, you know, go quote-unquote mad with power. And so his father keeps him, uh, keeps a shock collar on him. So his father essentially, despite all he said about caring about Broly and wanting to get revenge on Vegeta because of what King Vegeta did to him, um, he still kind of treats his son like a rabid dog. And Chi-Lai is the first person to notice that and take problem with it. Um, Goku is the second, obviously, because he's just a big dummy. Uh, I was about to say he's got a big old heart, but he doesn't. Um, he just wants Broly to stay alive so Goku can fight him more. Um, <laughs> but well, that... hey, hold on, hold on. Goku does have that moment where he he like uses yeah, yeah. a technique that I'm not sure what it is. I don't remember him doing that ever. Uh, freezing Broly, and it's like, hey, you know, we don't have to do this. We like to live in peace and harmony here. Yes, he's okay. like, we're all Saiyans here. We can, we can try and get along. Um, <laughs> so, yes, I, I will give you that. Um, but, and then, so we're back around again to the son being Vege Prince Vegeta um, being made to pay for the sins of the father being King Vegeta, um, who banished Broly. And I guess by extension, Broly's father. Um, and that's, that's Broly's father's par Paragus. That's Paragus's whole mission is to kill Prince Vegeta to get some sort of closure about what his father did to them. Um, and he can't let Again, go of that. Huh? Paragus is super subtle about it, as mentioned earlier. Oh yeah, so <laughs> subtle. Um, and you know, they're found by the Frieza force and taken to, to Frieza, um, who realizes that Broly's power could be used to potentially kill his enemies, Goku and Vegeta. Um, and so it's interesting. It, this movie really needed that, that emotional through line of there is someone looking out for Broly's interests um, who cares about mm -hmm. him and who sees that the way his father treats him is unjust. Um, and, you know, that ends up saving the day. Um, she saves his life and... Goku and Vegeta potentially gain a new ally because there is this person who saw a troubled young man in need, you know, and she, she cared enough for him to use a Dragon Ball wish to, to save his life. Yeah, Chi-Lai really is MVP here. Um, Broly would be dead uh, if she hadn't intervened, maybe, and if Broly didn't die, then the whole Earth and potentially the universe <laughs> would have been dead. Right, so, so Chilai, yeah. MVP, and that 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 emotional through line is really necessary here because mm -hmm. I I said earlier that Stephanie really liked Chilai and related to her, and the relationship between Broly and his father and Chilai to Broly are the only things that Stephanie took any interest in. Um, they're important because otherwise it's literally just a, a it's just going to be thirty minutes of plot up front and then 30 minutes of fight scene in the end. We really do need... Um, why I like her so much, and certain people might hate me for saying this, uh, Dragon Ball really needs more 
characters who aren't fighters that are still interesting. Uh, <laughs> I love Bulma, don't get me wrong, but what is she adding to the story? What depth does she have? Not a lot. Uh, and then everyone else is a fighter or used to be a fighter, realized they were outclassed and gave up. Uh, we don't really have any non-combatant side characters, and uh, I like that we finally got one that is... I enjoy almost every single second she's on screen. Her and Limo. Limo is the guy's name. Uh, that's a really uh, good point, Justin. I think that is something that Dragon Ball is sorely missing. They're, they're fun to watch. I like them, and they bounce off all the crazy... <laughs> punching that goes on yeah. very well um no you're right I, I they're good they're good uh new characters a lot of times when movies like this are made and they attempt to shoehorn in new characters um it often doesn't work you know but these uh they end up providing an emotional core that this movie really needed um mm -hmm. any comparison to Return of the Joker that I haven't thought of. It's basically just that sins of the uh, the problems of the past um, resurfacing, and then you know the sons having to having to duke it out. Um, Let's talk about all of the boys who are suffering because of their fathers and or proxy fathers. We have Tim Drake, Terry McGinnis, Vegeta, Broly. <laughs> That's a, well, that's that's not a who would win that would be very interesting. Um, that is a, 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 a Mugen match that I would play. Um, <laughs> is it pronounced Mugen or is it Mugen? I've always said Mugen, like the character from Samurai, Samurai Shampoo. Shampoo. Uh, the um, superior, uh, who made that? Uh, Watanabe? What was his name? Yeah. I like Samurai Champloo better than Cowboy Bebop. Controversial opinion. I refrain from speaking. <laughs> I have nothing nice to say to you. No, they're both great. I don't care. They're both fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> See, if, if this is what we need Stephanie, if she was here, she would have more to articulate than, yup, they both have a, uh, they both have a similar, some similar themes. <laughs> uh... Dragon Ball Super Broly is a movie. If you are not already a fan of the property, you probably won't enjoy it that much or get that much out of it. So I cannot say I recommend it as a must-watch viewing like I would Return of the Joker. Right, because everyone gets who Batman and the Joker are. There's not that much lore you have to get. Right, so if you just buy into, the only thing you need to buy into is Batman is old now and there is a new Batman. Yep, that's it. That's all the information you need. Uh, Broly, you need to know what is going on and who these characters are. Right, because even... it is unapologetically, unapologetically just going... Here's the action figures, bash them together. <laughs> yep, because even though the first 30 minutes tries to do plot and establish all this information for, like I said, it's new canon, so it needs to be established for new viewers and old viewers. As soon as we get to the modern day, it's like, who are these guys? 
Who's that purple cat? Who's that guy with the tall hair? Why is Go Vegeta's hair red now? Why is Goku's hair blue now? I... Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Batman Return of the Joker. Much more accessible. And I highly recommended you watch it. If you are a DC Comics fan at all, a Batman fan at all, um, in my opinion, it is necessary viewing. Um that and Mask of the Phantasm, if those are the only two GC animated movies you watch, um, you, you picked you picked the best two, in my opinion. Sub-Zero is also decent. Sub-Zero is also good. And there's a lot of the, again, I could talk comics all day. There's the whole DC cinematic animated universe uh, that just ended with Justice League uh, Dark Apocalypse War, which is a mouthful. That is a mouthful. Uh, uh, and then there's all the like one-off movies. Superman, Man of Tomorrow is great, but just watch anything in the DC AU. Your favorite characters is still down to perfection. This is a convoluted mess, even if you know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> but I, that being said, I still, I still enjoy it. I can't say uh, I think it is a good film, but it's some good Dragon Ball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There um, we go. It's, it's funny. I would comment like, Ugh, "This is, this is dragging. I'm tired of this. I'm ready for this movie to be over." And Stephanie would say, "This seems about the same as any other Dragon Ball episode, except I don't hate watching it because it looks better." <laughs> Thank you for listening to our boys' night episode. We promise. I promise Stephanie will be back in the very, very near future. I had a good time. Thank you for listening to our Boys Night episode. We're happy you made it this far. We had a fun time doing it. We had a fun time. I don't know if this is listenable, but <laughs> I enjoyed myself. <laughs> well, we hope you'll uh, stick around and we'll see you guys next week. Uh, this is Sounds Familiar. My name's Caleb. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at actual underscore Caleb. My name's Justin. You can find me on most social media at Blame It on Butler. You can find the show at Sounds Familiar on Twitter. You can find Stephanie at Steph Has No Name on Twitter and on Letterboxd at Raise Left, Left Boob. Boob. I've been wanting to say that this whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. Love ya. Thank you so much for listening to our show. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at SoundsFamiliar. If you'd like to get in contact with us, drop us a line at SoundsFamiliar at gmail.com. We'd like to thank our friend Chelsea for our logo. Be sure to check her out on Instagram at ChelseaBHDesigns. We'd also like to thank Shane Quick for our theme music. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for new episodes. We'll see you next time on Sounds Familiar.